0: Thanks again for being with us today, church family, and to our guests. We're grateful that you've joined us. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today as we look at the unexpected joy that's found in the announcement of Jesus' birth to the shepherds there in Luke chapter 2. But before we jump into our passage, I just want to make... Uh, a particular note uh, for next week. Uh, we won't be gathering in our host homes next week and instead we'll, we'll have our service virtually streaming online available on YouTube. Uh, but we also, uh, the reason that we're not gathering in the morning is because we want to ask you to prioritize Gathering on Sunday afternoon, uh, on December twentieth next week, four thirty to five thirty, for a special time for us as a church to celebrate uh, Christmas. We'll have uh, an opportunity to to worship together, to take the Lord's Supper, uh, to be encouraged from God's Word as we reflect on. Christ. Uh, And so uh, I hope that you'll make it a priority to come and be a part of that just as we did at the end of November. Uh, We'll be following all our safety protocols that you can find online. We do need you to RSVP uh, to let us know that you're coming, but that'll be at 2500 South Main Street. All that information will be shared and has been shared in our TCC Weekly News, and and, uh, you can reach out to us uh, by texting your name to the number on the screen if you're interested in that or in any other particular information uh, and ways to get connected here at And so uh, after next Sunday, we will continue to meet virtually for the Sunday after Christmas and uh, the beginning of the new year. And then I'm excited for us uh, to uh, share some plans and and request some feedback from you, our church family, uh, about what we're going to be doing in the new year and how we're going to be gathering, and so uh, be on the lookout uh, for that information. Uh, I'm excited to hear back from you and excited uh, for what's in store for us as we leave uh, the 27 months of 2020 and step in uh, to 2021. And so uh, join, join me by looking at Luke chapter 2. We're going to be uh, looking at the particulars of the birth of Christ. Last week we looked at the uh, the announcement of Jesus's birth by the angel Gabriel to Mary and, uh, and Mary's response uh, to the Lord in light of that news. So today we're going to hear uh, how the birth of Christ came about. Um, and you know this sermon series has been entitled Unexpected Christmas uh, because it's fitting as we think about the first Christmas, as we think about the first Advent, the coming of Christ that's recorded here in the Gospel of Luke. It came about in an unexpected way and to unexpected people and it's just filled with showing how God was working uh, in ways that people weren't expecting and looking for. And, and I think that's true for us as we come to this Christmas. Uh, the Christmas of 2020 is uh, aptly described as an unexpected Christmas. It's not what we thought it would look like. It's not going to entail what we thought it would entail. And, and yet, as we think about the unexpected nature of this Christmas, is. In some ways, it's healthy that it's disrupted some of the things that we had gotten used to, some of the things that we typically do expect. Now, there's a lot of good things that we expect that we're not perhaps going to be able to enjoy this year in the same way, but some of the normal hustle and bustle and busyness and consumerism and materialism and stress and frustrations that can mark the holiday season, uh, some of that has been disrupted in a way and and hopefully as that's been disrupted, it kind of opens us up to think about some things differently and and renew our hearts and our minds as we uh, really try to prioritize what matters most uh, at Christmas. And and I, I think that uh, happens as we look at God's Word, in particular as we reflect on the birth of Christ, is it has a way of peeling back some of the things that we clamor about uh, during Christmas and it helps us to focus in on what really matters. Uh, and and as I come to Luke chapter 2, one of the things I've been thinking about this week is just how familiar we are with the news of Jesus' birth. Uh, it's, a, it's a passage that... Uh, uh, that we 're familiar with, and we understand the details of it it 's what we read at christmas it 's what christmas is is about it 's what we 've gotten used to hearing and understanding and and in some ways it 's just it 's kind of common knowledge that this is uh, the birth of Christ this is how it came about through Mary and Joseph, and they had to go. Uh, to Bethlehem, because of the census, and Jesus was born, and there was no room in the end, and so he was born outside in a manger and and that 's the birth of christ and and we know that and we're we 're used to that and and just like all things that we become familiar with, sometimes our familiarity with them can dull the impact that they uh, that it has on us and and so as i 'm uh, looking at Luke chapter two this week, and as we look at it here in just a moment in and, and some ways. The birth of Christ was, was common and ordinary. Uh, it, though it was unexpected, it wasn't anything uh, in terms of the, the eyes of the world as praiseworthy. In fact, it went unnoticed and unseen by a lot of important people. And, and the same can happen today. Christmases can come and go, and we don't have um, eyes to see Jesus' birth and the significance of it. And so uh, I want us to to look at Luke chapter 2 today, and particularly verses 1 through 21, and and remind ourselves of this ordinary and common uh, birth that's filled with great joy and the highest praise, the most significant event uh, to human history to this point, and that it would recapture our own hearts, uh, and that we would walk away changed as we consider the birth of Christ, not only today, but throughout this Advent season and beyond. So look with me to Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, "...in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town." so before before we continue uh, what what Luke is setting up is is how it came about that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. These are the circumstances that led to it uh, it, it wasn 't uh, uncommon for there to be a census for the purposes of taxation. Uh, but this came about during um, the time when Quirinius was governor of Syria and an edict from Caesar Augustus that everyone should be registered. Nothing new under the sun. Uh, the two things that you can always expect, right, are death and taxes. And, and here, because of the purpose of taxes, Mary and Joseph have to go to Joseph's hometown to be registered for the census. But all of this uh, going on at the time, uh, it just seems like the ordinary functioning of the world, and yet behind all of it, God is working and maneuvering to fulfill his promise that a Savior would be born from the town of Bethlehem, from the line of David. So what's so common and what's so ordinary uh, that, that so many people don't have eyes to see, uh, it's right in the midst of that that God is working And it says that Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, which we saw last week, which is where uh, Mary was uh, when she got news that she was to be the mother of the Messiah, of the Savior, of Jesus. And it says they went to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because uh, Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. And he was there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Uh, All of this we found out about in Luke chapter 1. And it says, and while they were there... The time came for her to give birth. Now, it's, it's no small journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and it's no small task to travel in the ancient world. Uh, and to add to that travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, Mary is great with child. She's nearing nine months. She's nearing her due date, and she goes on this journey, uh, most likely riding a donkey, uh, and uh, and And walking uh, on her way from Nazareth to Jerusalem, and when she gets there, uh, uh, she looks at Joseph and says it's time now uh, we've we've had three kids and in my uh, experience, two of our uh, children we've had to go in uh, for uh, for induction, they set the date and we went in, and so it kind of takes away uh, some of the uh, the guessing as to is it time is it not time but I remember with uh, our first uh, child, the, uh, the the process of waiting and like, are we ready? Oh, the, the contractions are coming. Is it time? Is it not time? What does this look like? Are we going to have the baby before we get to the hospital? And all of these uncertainties that inevitably would come about. And here you have two teenagers basically. And Mary looks at Joseph once they get to Bethlehem and she's like, it's time. Uh, and And it says, "You can imagine them frantically going about trying to find a place uh, to have this child, and there 's no um, you know uh, mercy hospital in Bethlehem that they can go to there there 's no uh, place that they uh, can just go check in and have this baby, but it says they 're going about trying to find a place." and and we know from the Gospel of Matthew is they're trying to find places, and it says here at the end of verse 7 that they couldn't find a place in any respectable place of lodging, uh, but instead they found a stable, and there uh, was a manger, and in that stable, Mary gave birth to Jesus with the attending uh, servant and physician and doctor being Joseph, who was not a doctor, but who was a Carpenter, and here's Joseph and Mary, and it says she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And that's the that's the account of Jesus's birth. So ordinary, so uh, so common, and in many ways so lowly. Not not a place of significance, not not a place of honor, but. Born and laid in a place fit for animals, not for a king and the creator of the world. It only gives one account, one verse to account for her birth. But uh, if you've seen a birth or know uh, what it's like and have experienced giving birth, it's no small matter. And I could just only imagine, as I mentioned, to, to have Joseph as the one to do it. I, every time in every scenario in which I've witnessed the birth of my children, there's this sense and this moment as it gets ready for the child to come where all the, doc, the doctor and the nurses are in and everybody's there. And it's like, what's going to happen? I don't know what's about to happen. Uh, and it gets kind of crazy in the room for a moment. And then the child's born. And you hear that cry. And that child is put on the chest of the mother and who I have no idea uh, how uh, they can endure the pain, but the pain goes away and the joy of holding your child takes over. And then eventually the pain comes back around and you begin to feel all that and you have to recover. But it's that, that moment where pain gives way to joy. That's the moment that Mary experienced. So we just get one verse that tells us that. And no doubt the joy that would have come over um, Mary as this all took place. But here it is, somewhere in Bethlehem, somewhere outside and in, in a stable, in a manger fit for an animal, the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, Deliverer of the people of Israel and the Savior of all people was born think about all the people who didn't know. Think about all the people who didn't come and see what was taking place, who had no idea. Just another couple traveling from out of town for the census who uh, were in a bad spot and Mary had to give birth to her child. Well, all of that changes because while there are a lot of people who didn't know, God made sure that some people knew and he did it in an extraordinary and unexpected way, because it says in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. So it says here that there's some shepherds who are out doing their job on the hillside. Shepherds weren't fit to give testimony in a court of law at Judaism. Shepherds were unclean. Shepherds uh, we're, we're, we're common people, and, and in many ways, even below just the ordinary person. Not to be trusted, not seen as significant or praiseworthy, of no significance and power in this community. And God comes to them, comes to them in the most glorious way. It's so glorious as the angel shows. Up and appears to them, they're overcome with fear, which is, as we saw last week, the common denominator. When God shows up and speaks to people, there's fear that grips our heart. But it says the angel said to them, as he often does, Fear not, the most common command in all the Bible, do not be afraid. Why? Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, here's the the good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The first time in, in the Gospels, the only time which we see all three of these titles applied to Christ, applied to Jesus who is Savior, the one who forgives us of our sins who is Christ, the Messiah, the one promised from long ago to come and deliver God's people, and who is the Lord, Emmanuel, God with us. This is the good news of great joy for all people that Jesus has come, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And not only is this angel bringing this announcement, but then at that moment in verse 13, it says, suddenly there was an With the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and there they found Mary and Joseph and the baby, just like it was said, lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured it up, all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So this is the birth of Christ being announced in an unexpected way to an unexpected group of people whom nobody else trusted, but whom God would entrust with the job of making known the news of Jesus' birth. And all of this happens, and the Bible tells us that the birth of Jesus, as common and as ordinary as it was, and coming about in this unexpected way, is the breaking in of unexpected joy. And not just any joy, but great joy is what the angels declare. That this is good news of great joy. That's not just for some people, that will be for all people. And in fact, the way in which God announces the birth of Christ and brings about uh, the birth of Christ in this world through Mary and Joseph is He, he does it by using the, the weak and the despised and the rejected and the ordinary. Why? Because in doing so, He gets the glory. And, and secondly, because He comes to the least, because He comes to the lowly, He demonstrates that He's coming for all. He's coming for all people. It's good news of great joy, not for some, but it's good news of great joy for all people. At this time, when, when Caesar was born uh, and the ruler of Rome, the news would go out that it's good news. That Caesar is born. A Savior has been born. But in many ways, the good news of Caesar's birth was not good news for everyone. But the birth of Jesus is good news for all people no matter who they are, no matter what their background is, no matter what their story is, no matter where they're from, culture, background, ethnicity. Jesus comes and his coming is unexpected, brings with it unexpected joy, joy for all people everywhere. And this joy comes because of who Jesus is and what he's going to accomplish. The names that we see used tell us why the birth of Jesus is good news. The birth of Jesus is, is good news of great joy because there's salvation from sin. The birth of Jesus is good, good news of great joy because God keeps his promises. The birth of G- Jesus is good news of great joy Because God has come to be with us. Here is where joy is found. That there's a Savior who forgives us of our sins. That there's a God who makes and keeps promises. And that there is a God who's not high, only high and lifted up and apart from us. But a God who is high and lifted up. Who in the fullness of time took on human flesh and came to be with us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's where our joy is found. Unexpected joy found in the ordinary, common birth of Jesus. What do we do with this passage that's familiar to us, that announces Jesus' birth and tells us how that news began to to spread through these shepherds? I want to just point out a, a few things uh, to us that that flow from this passage that that I pray characterize us as a people, not only this advent but uh, but really uh, throughout the course of our lives. Uh, and, and the, the first that, that I want uh, to, to point out is uh, the importance of having eyes to see Jesus. You know I, I mentioned as we look at the birth of Jesus, how ordinary and common it was and, and how many people didn't even know what was taking place. You know, it's fascinating as you think about Matthew and how the birth of Jesus is announced to Herod, who's in charge of, the, of, the, of this area uh, of Judah, uh, Judea, uh, is announced by these three magi, these basically um, uh, pagan spiritualists who've come from afar looking for the, the birth of the king of Israel. And the, the one who technically is the king of Israel at the time doesn't even know about it. He doesn't even know. How many more people didn't even know when Caesar put out the call for the the census to take place, when Corinthians began his rule, did they know that through their census it would bring about the fulfillment of God's promises to bring a Savior through the line of Judah the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior, Christ the Lord? No, they didn't know. They didn't have eyes to see. God didn't show up to Herod and to Caesar and to Corinthians. He didn't show up to, to the innkeeper. The innkeeper didn't know what was taking place. It was just full. There was nothing else that he could do. How many more people does that describe even today as we go through Christmas? Oh, we know the story, but we don't have eyes to see Jesus. But it says in verse 14 that, uh, the glory, uh, it says, glory to God in the highest and on, pe- on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. We, we see this peace and goodwill among men with whom he is pleased. It's, it's, it's good news of great joy for all people, but not all people have eyes to see Jesus for who he is. Not all people will bend their knee to Jesus as Savior confessing their sins. Not all people will believe that there's a God who made promises in the past and is keeping them today. Not all people will will accept that, that God came to be with us, that, that we were so loved by God that God came to be with us, and yet we were so in need of, of forgiveness and so sinful and so bad off that only God could come to be with us and rescue us. Not all people have eyes to see. Do you have eyes to see? And what a great occasion at Advent to be reminded of when God opened up our eyes. You know, we all have a story like the shepherds. In many ways, we're all like the shepherds. Uh, we may think more highly of ourselves than people thought of them, but ultimately we're all, we're, we're all in need in the eyes of God, unworthy, unacceptable, untrustworthy. And yet God showed up and gave us eyes to see him. I remember, remember when God opened my eyes to see him for the first time as a teenager. I would do well. I would encourage you to think back uh, about when God opened your eyes to see Christ and how that brought, brought such good news of great joy that God would save you a sinner. And, and as we've been walking through this series, looking at the birth of Christ every week, as is a commitment that I have as your pastor and as one who preaches God's word is as we open up God's word as we see Jesus, God is continually inviting those who are far from Him to come to Him in faith. You can't open your own eyes to see Jesus. You can't do enough good things to increase your eyesight. You you can't um, you can't earn better eyesight to see Jesus. But you hear his word and God is at work in your heart to open up your eyes. To open up your heart to receive him. I pray if if God's doing a work in you, showing you, giving you a glimpse of who Jesus is. And how he's Savior and how he's Messiah and how he's Lord. That today you would not only have those eyes to see him, but you would confess him with your mouth. And you would put your trust in him that you believe in him as your savior. We need eyes to see Jesus and how grateful we should be that God does open our eyes to see and respond to Jesus. I love uh, just seeing uh, how that unfolds with the shepherds as they hear this good news. I love their response. They said, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. That we would all have hearts like these shepherds to want to go and see what the Lord has made known to us. And this really should continue to characterize our lives as believers. And it does so in the Christian life as we continually come to God's Word, the practice of reading God's Word, that we continue to come to God's Word day after day, week after week, asking God, Open the eyes of my heart that I might see wondrous things in your law. That's what the psalmist prayed. Let me me encourage you as you open God's word to say, Open my eyes, God, that I might see my need for Christ and your provision for me in Christ. Open my eyes, God, that I might see that I have all that I need, the sufficiency of Jesus for all my life as I read your word. We have a uh, men's and women's Bible study coming up in January in the new year. As we're studying, the women are studying Philemon and the men will be studying Jonah. And uh, as we use the, the seven arrows to, to study um, these books, one of the questions that we ask ourselves is what are we seeing about God? God, open my eyes to see Jesus as I read your word, whether it be in the Old Testament or the New, give me eyes to see Jesus. Do we have eyes to see Jesus? The second thing I I want to urge us with that we see in this passage is not only the importance of having eyes to see Jesus, the importance of having a burden to tell others about Jesus. You see, the shepherds were the first evangelists. The shepherds were the the first people that God entrusted with making known the gospel, right? That's, That's what the angels announced. Good news, gospel of great joy for all people. And he entrusted it to the shepherds. Now, <clears throat> the the message is what's most important, but, but we can't we can't overlook the fact that God has entrusted this glorious and great message to these common and in and, and the eyes of others unreliable messengers. Now, we need to know that we fit the bill uh, as, as unreliable, as, uh, as uh, in, insufficient and needy and sinful, and that shows us our need for salvation. But, but I think as believers, one of the things that we have the hardest time believing is that God would want to use us. He would want to use me to make known this glorious and great news that Jesus is the Savior. And so we begin to believe that, well, I'm not sure that I've got enough together uh, for God to use me as His messenger, I I need to learn a little bit more. I need to uh, figure out how to answer a few more questions. I, I need to get a little bit more comfortable before God uses me to make it known to others. But but I think what what we see here is when the shepherds heard the news, there is this sense of a of being compelled to go and tell others. The angel didn't say, go and see Jesus. And after you see Jesus, here's the strategy for how I want you to tell everybody in the region. No. He said, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. A baby is born. Go to Bethlehem and see. And once you've seen Jesus, once you've seen Jesus, how can you not tell others about it? I know it's common. It's just uh, a sermon on prayer and a sermon on evangelism, perhaps the most familiar thing that we could hear and and sometimes the um the the easiest way to guilt a christian that's that's not my Purpose. In fact, I preach to myself in some ways through this pandemic. It seems all the more difficult to have opportunities to interact with others and to uh, share my faith. And uh, and yet, as I think about how God opened my eyes to see Him, and how tied to being able to see Jesus comes with this burden to make Him known. I don't want to lose that, even as we walk through the difficulty of not being able to be around as many people. I don't want to lose uh, the the burden that comes in the in the in the best sense of the word, and yet the sense that brings out our responsibility as followers of Christ. That this good news of great joy, this gospel that we've received, that God has opened our eyes to see, that it would compel us to be people who tell. Without pretense, look—we're—we're not—we don't have a message in a can. We're—we're we're not notching, uh, you know, putting notches on our belt of how many people we've told. We're—we're we're not trying to impress anybody. We're not trying to build anything. We're trying to be God's people who have seen Jesus for who He is. We've received the good news of great joy, and we don't want to live our lives as if that joy should be kept to ourselves. But we want to make that joy known to everyone, everywhere, because it's good news of great joy for all people. And if God opened your eyes to see, maybe God will use you to open somebody else's eyes to see. So Christmas reminds us is all about to share this joy that we have. I love how Christmas brings about the singing of the Christmas hymns. And we don't get to do it as much this year. At least it's not the same experience. But as you, as you go into a store, you're going about flipping through the channels and you and hear a show and, and the people are singing Silent Night. The, the people are singing, Oh, come let us adore Him. And they're singing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Announcing the news of the birth of Christ. The joy that's come to the world. Through this child born in Bethlehem, who would grow up to die on a cross outside of Jerusalem and who would raise to rule over all people in all nations, and one day will come again we We live in a time during this uh, Christmas season where people are singing and 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 hearing this news and it's powerful to hear it on the radio or uh, passing by in a store, on a channel. But how much more powerful is it when they hear it from somebody else that they know? From somebody who's seen the joy for themselves, who's tasted it for themselves, who's making it known to others. That's what the shepherds did when they went, they went and saw Jesus, just as the angel said. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They said, you're not going to believe what I saw and what I heard. you got to go see for yourself. you got to know about this. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. We have, we have to be a people who have a burden to tell others about Jesus. But as so often is the case, one thing that, that I want to push home is what will sustain our burden for telling others about Jesus isn't me guilting you to do it. But it's exactly what happens with Mary and the shepherds. Do you see what Mary and the shepherds did? It said, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. You see, we've we've got a joy that we can't keep to ourselves. But do you know that the only way that you'll sustain a burden to tell others about Jesus is if you never get over the joy that you found in Jesus? Let me say that again, that the the only way that you'll sustain a burden to tell others about Jesus is if you never get over the joy that you yourself have found in Jesus. Mary, as she heard about all that was taking place and observed all that was taking place, she treasured these things in her heart pondering them, thinking about them continually. And the the shepherds went back about their work. And as they did their work, their hearts were filled with praise. They were glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. they had already told people. Now they're continuing to rejoice. And if I had to guess, that wasn't the last time that these shepherds told somebody about what they saw that night in Bethlehem. See, when, when we don't get over what we found in Christ, when our joy is so deeply rooted in Christ and sustained as we continually come to Him in His Word and we grow in prayer and we grow in community, as we grow in serving and working out our faith, it deepens our joy. Because if we have a joy that's not dependent on our circumstances, it's not dependent on what we have, it's a joy that's found in what we've received, what God has given to us graciously in Christ. We, we've looked at this continually at Advent because what Advent does for us is it's a season of waiting and anticipation. And, uh, and we reenact it each year because what we so often need is, is for our hearts to be renewed and awakened. The psalmist often will say, Awake in my heart, O God. As we talked about last week, sometimes when we worship, our worship isn't just a confession, but it's a plea for God to help us believe. The practices of the Christian life aren't just our duties as Christians, but, but it's the work that we do to cultivate, to, uh, to, to dig up the soil so that we can plant deep the roots of joy that are found in Christ. And when our joy goes deep, the burden to tell others about Jesus, it won't seem like a burden, but it'll be a delight. That's what what I'm praying. That sounds maybe a romanticized version of what evangelism is all about. But I really think that's what we need as a people. We need to be reminded that we bear the responsibility to make Christ known. Nobody else is going to do that, church. We are here today because somebody else told us about Jesus. There's no other way to say it. We have that responsibility. But that responsibility, we will grow weary and tired of if our hearts aren't being renewed. If our joy isn't sinking deeper and deeper in Christ. I love that God calls us to this burden and this responsibility and And it's not just these shepherds, this shepherds in many ways, are just this snapshot of how this plays out throughout the rest of the scriptures but it but it also shows us that this this real burden and responsibility can only be sustained by increasing joy and delight in Christ. It's no accident that when we think about multi multiplying disciples that declaring and displaying the gospel is preceded not by accident but by intention delighting in Christ, delighting in him so that we would be a people who declare and display the gospel of Jesus. The importance of eyes to see Jesus and a burden to tell others about Jesus. But finally, the importance of a life patterned after Jesus. The whole birth of Christ in many ways, confronts us and challenges us with what we think is most important and with what we value the most. This has really uh, struck me in my own small group's discussion this past week as we thought about how Mary, when she praised God, uh, she praised God in Luke chapter 1, verse 48, and again uh, in verse 52, that God has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And behold, now of all generations will call me blessed. And he says in verse 52 that he's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. The the way in which God chooses to announce the good news of great joy for all people by doing it through shepherds, the lowest people at the totem pole. How God works By using the weakest and the forgotten and the rejected and the despised to accomplish his purpose. That he doesn't come to Rome or Jerusalem, but he comes to Nazareth to announce the birth of the Savior. That God works in all of these ways, and as we see and hear the birth of Christ, it's continually pressing upon us the way in which God works. That glory is preceded by humility. We saw it in John the Baptist. His whole life mattered because he was the forerunner to the Savior. His whole life was not about pointing to him, but pointing to the one who was to come. His whole life was me increase, Jesus, excuse me, me decrease, Jesus increase. It's like our hearts are so hardwired that we can't say me decrease. But it's so often me increase more and more, me get more and more. But Jesus shows us in his very birth, God demonstrates to us and reminds us of the pattern by which he operates that it's through humility that leads to glory, that God brings salvation through coming to the lowly, to the poor, to the rejected. Not because they're special, but because God, in choosing to do so, shows that He's not bound to the interest of some, but He's come for all. If He comes for the least, and He comes for the least, those who are poor and those who are forgotten and are despised often are the ones who who are willing to admit their need most. How often, as Christians, do we think uh, that if if we just get an important person? Uh, to bear witness to Christ, or if we can just be seen uh, by uh, this group of people, if they'll they'll just take notice of Christianity, if we can just get big enough for people to be impressed with us, then then God will use us. But the whole time, if our lives aren't patterned after Jesus, Jesus doesn't say that glory follows glory. Jesus doesn't say that might and power make all things right. Jesus comes to the rejected. Jesus comes to the lowly. Jesus comes to the poor. And if our life is to be patterned after Jesus, then our life has to be patterned in the way that we would love all people, the way that we would serve all people, the way that we would move our lives towards others who are in need, towards others who would, uh, who, with whom we would share the hope of the gospel, to others whom we would meet with real needs, that our life wouldn't be marked by the pretense of trying to be important, but our life would be marked by the humility of our Savior who was a servant. In many ways, to say that we need a life marked by Jesus is to say that we need to carry out our mission and the pattern of Jesus. See, Advent tells us the good news of great joy. But as we think about the story of Christ's birth and the way in which he operates... It also sets a pattern for our mission. And, and I just think as a church, and, and for us and our community, I'm, I'm particularly burdened to ask God to help us, not just to be a church that goes through the motions, not just to be a church that tries to uh, grow to a certain size and get enough people to be noticed by others or, or to be seen as important, but to be a church that's faithful marked by humility, marked by service, marked by a willingness to meet needs without uh, seeking attention, marked by a a consistency and faithfulness uh, to to look uh, in our community and to move uh, towards those around us who need the gospel. And, And in many ways, not just to the needy, but as I said, Jesus comes to the, uh, to the least of these to demonstrate that he's coming for all people. And the most important question isn't, are you rich or are you poor? The most important question is not, are you important or unimportant? Not, are you despised or praised? But the most important question for anybody, regardless of their status, regardless of their background, is do you have eyes to see Jesus? And as a, a people, we wouldn't just be drawn to ask people that are familiar to us, that are comfortable to us, that question. To draw near to those that were comfortable in that way. But that like Jesus, we would demonstrate that the gospel is for all people by going to the least of all people. Perhaps we've gotten the order wrong. Perhaps at times we've tried to be big and important when God's calling us to be humble and faithful. And he'll bear the fruit of his people who follow our Savior. Not seeking glory, but seeking humility. Just as Christ came into the world in Bethlehem in a manger. This is our Savior. Saves us from our sin, gives us eyes to see, gives us a burden to tell that our lives would be marked by our Savior with a mission to make Him known and to make His purposes real in our world. Pray with me.